the very latest from our local ag industry. The Farming Show with Dylan Honkoop is next on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. It keeps your workers warm. It keeps your heavy equipment running. It keeps your customers happy. Propane. Let us take the pain out of propane. We'll make sure your tanks are full so you don't have to. Skagit Farmers Supply provides safe, efficient delivery service for business, agriculture, and residential. Visit them today and see how they can keep you warm this winter at SkagitFarmers.com. Want to win big? We're celebrating 50 years at Barron. Hi, I'm John Barron, owner of Barron Heating, AC, Electrical, and Plumbing. And I'm Brad Barron, fourth generation here at Barron. I'll never forget the tools in Dad's garage and the paperwork on Mom's table as our home became the beginnings of Barron Heating. Our humble start grew into the Barron of today, serving five counties and providing careers for over 200 families. Since 1972, customers have been the heart of our business. And today, those family values are put into every job we do. We love this community and want to celebrate with savings on solar, generators, plumbing, air duct cleaning, and more. Plus, save 20% on services like annual maintenance as a Silver Shield member. And five people will win 5,000 Baron bucks towards any Baron service or installation. Book through November 30th to be entered to win. From all of us at Baron, thank you. We look forward to serving you for the next 50 years. Baron Heating, AC, Electrical, and Plumbing. Our mission, improving lives. No purchase necessary. Visit BaronHeating.com for details. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city. But sometimes, things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI Traffic Alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. Can you believe that it has been a year since the disaster of the flood of 2021 and all that entailed and for those of us who weren't flooded out of our homes who didn't lose property animals um, you know for one family locally a member of their family a man that died in that flood I mean, there was so much devastation for those of us who didn't directly experience that we remember but we don't feel those wounds that for people who actually went through the thick of it those those wounds are still raw and and it's i i feel it's very important to not forget not just as an idea but also the emotional impact that had on so many here in our community. This is The Farming Show. Good morning to you. I'm Dylan Honkoop. I, I know it's a little bit of a, a somber opening, but again, I think it's important that we talk about that uh, this morning. The anniversary this week of that flooding disaster in the Nooksack River, and as we know, and as we feared for years, there was so much water that it came over the river, the Nooksack River banks 
at Everson, it was so high, it started to flow across towards Sumas into essentially a different drainage, into the really the Fraser River watershed and wreaked havoc the whole way across. Joining me this morning here on the phone is Leah Rainey Heringa. Uh, she and her husband live out there, farming family out in the Sumas area. They were in the middle of it. Leah, thanks for being here because right off the top, I know because I've talked with you about this before, it's to this day, it's still hard for even to, to, to talk about what all yeah. went on. <clears throat> Explain what that was like. What was it like being there as the floodwaters rose and things happened? Take us back. To, and I know it's hard for you, but, but I think it's important that we remember what was it like those days? Thanks, Dylan. Good morning. Um, yeah, so it, it started, we actually started berming. We heard it was going to get bad, so we actually bermed our front yard. I had um, 250 sandbags that we had done around my porches and anywhere just trying to keep the water out. We picked everything up that we thought was important on the main level. And we were we pretty much worked probably about eight hours that Sunday night before it flooded. We were trying to do the best we could with with the knowledge we had. And so then I was up at two in the morning, four in the morning, there was no water. We got a, a text from our local um, police chief, Daniel DeBryan. He said, it's over the Badger. It'll be at your house in 45 minutes. And mm-hmm. that was no joke. It was, and it was rolling. So my husband and I went out, we picked up our freezer a little bit higher and uh, his toolbox. And in that time we had six inches rolling into the shop. Um, I had brought home four baby calves and my goats and my chickens. So we went out to feed them in 20 minutes, probably about 200 yards from my house. I had two and a half plus feet of water rolling through my yard. Border patrol pulled in and they, they're like, are you guys okay? We're like, no, you know, we're fine. We're, we're good. Like, no, you're not. You have 10 minutes to get out of here. Wow. And it was like, what are you, are you kidding me? And so I ran back through the water. My kids were still asleep in the house. I woke them up. We got to go, guys. We got to go. I grabbed two pairs of play pants, two pairs of pajamas mm. for them. I didn't have anything. I was mm. in complete rain gear, boots. I didn't have clothes. I didn't have toothbrushes. I didn't have anything. And so they grabbed my husband's Dodge with the kids. And Dan grabbed the tractor. And I gra- had to wait out to get to my Sequoia that was out by the barn. And uh, we started driving. And it was completely underwater going down Garrison Road, all the way past Valley Plumbing and going into Sumas. Everything was already full of water. Mm. And we get to Advent Church, and the Border Patrol agent actually was very smart, and he says, it's going to get worse before it gets better. I'd get out of here. He said, Haverstick's Mm. still open. And luckily, well, it was kind of scary because our little puppy, she had ran in the house, but Dan thought I had her, and I thought Border Patrol had grabbed her. Oh, no. So we weren't sure, and Dan's like, well, i got to go back. So he goes back in the tractor, and at this point, we have maybe an inch, and it's coming in the house. Like, that was nothing, like nothing time, right? And uh, so he gets back, and luckily she was okay. And But I had to leave all my animals in the barn, just hoping and praying that they were still okay. And uh, we get to Advent, and we take try to take Haverstick, and it's closed. So then we had to take Cypress, Telegraph to Cyper. And Swift Creek was a disaster. You actually didn't know if the road was still there. And so I actually put it in four-wheel drive because it was so much mud and so much water. Finally made it through that. We get to Highway 9, and everything from Hoff Road to Nugent's Corner is underwater. 
And not after, not very long after we went through that, that's when the road collapsed there. And then my parents live up in the Acme Valley. They were still flooded. So we ended up on um, Everson Goshen and Smith Road at my friend's house. We stayed there that night. Dan actually tried to come back, but he kind of had a big panic attack because it was actually like level with the train tracks at that point when oh, he man. came into the mass. Oh, man. And he, he kind of freaked out. And he's like, what if I can't get back to my wife and my kids? No and, kidding. And we had left our tractor at the Advent Church. So they were using it still to help people be rescued. And then we made it back Tuesday because everything was closed. We had to take the badger out. It took us like four hours to get out here. We got in and we'd had probably close to eight inches in the house. And um, my cows at the, the old dairy had 10 Angus cows. They stood in three and a half feet of water for 24 hours. Mm. Um, all my animals luckily lived. Thankfully, I don't know how they did because it was it was really scary. My cows were starving. And... Um, like our way tank at the farm had moved all the way to the front. Our gas tank had rolled to the front. There was, we used to be dairy farmers and thankfully we weren't farming because every single stall had water in it. Every single, the milk house was completely underwater. The milk tanks would have been underwater. The parlor was underwater. Yeah. How many cows did you guys used to have there when you were dairying? Um, we had 725 that we milked. Can you imagine? Having that no. many animals that you would have had to, oh, what, man. What would you have done with them? And the babies? Like, what would you have done? You know, and then the cows getting sick. And and uh, we had to take the tractor into the to the barn, and we were pushing water with the tractor. So it was probably about three and a half feet on Hill Road coming into there. And then after we had finished our going over what we could do with the time we had, we went in and we helped people. We took... Um, I don't know. We probably moved around 20 people in about three hours with our tractor. Mm -hmm. And then we left and we went back to my friend's house. And it, then we got the word that those pumps were supposed to fail. And my heart sank. It's like, I can't leave my animals, you know, like I can't do it. I had forgotten but, about that. But it was kind of uh -huh. like the second wave of fear because, yeah. the, and by the way, again, we're talking with Leah Rainey Herringa here on the farming show this morning, recounting. A year later, can you believe it? It's been a year since this flooding disaster here in Whatcom County. She's a farmer out in the Sumas area, along with her husband and family. There was that, as you're just mentioning, I'm, I'm forgetting some of these details already. That second wave where all that water had come through, done all that devastation that you were talking about. People were still being rescued with tractors, and then they were fearing that basically the the water was going to come back the other way from Canada if the Barrowtown pump station failed. And I remember, weren't they like sandbagging all night and just oh, hoping yeah. and praying that, that there wasn't a wall of water that came back from the other direction and into the Sumas all over again? Oh, people, people were devastated. I mean, they were freaking out. Right. And as, as we were, you know, we had every reason to be, cause we would have been, you know, what, 15 feet underwater if mm. it had come. And so I called my dad and, and he was, you know, in the Acme Valley, he's flooded too. I said, you got to get here. I said, I got to get these cows out of here. And so I had, we were raising, or we were, um, had some heifers there that people were renting the barns for. And so I was like, I got to get them out too. And, and so my dad made it down Reese Hill and he was able to get over to the to Hill Road. And then we had the tractor because the cattle truck isn't very big. Then we had to push the water with the tractor and the, the truck had to be right behind it. So that it wouldn't, you know, get that water in it and take it off the road. Oh my goodness! So that was a process. We got that was probably about nine o'clock at night. We moved 
uh, all the cows out. My cows went to Noon Road and my goats, and my calves went to Smith Road and Everson Goshen Road. We didn't get back to my friend's house till 2.30 in the morning. And thankfully, you know, you didn't know, right? It could have been really, really bad. I mean, you should have seen the highway just from the barn trying to load everything out. The the amount of people trying to leave, right? Like people were moving their semis out by, by Nooks Lake High School because they didn't want this to happen. I mean, like it yeah. was it was insane, you know, and it was just an added added fear. And then we I ended up coming back um so the nice way, the dead end side of Clearbrook are coming off of, uh, I mean, Garrison coming off the highway where they yeah. took out that road. I could get to my house by then. So mm. I was able to get back every every day. But the, the devastation and then the water, it doesn't go away. Like, I think we probably had it for at least five days and it's still flowing and it's sitting. And then you're thinking, okay. You know, cow poop and some of my I talked to some people in Sumas and they had found dead chickens in their yard and they'd found, you know, this nastiness. And you're thinking, you know, and then like when we drove into Sumas on the tractor, you know, and when those tankers tipped over, you could smell the oil just driving down the road. The train tankers and the. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, today is the 19th. I'm thinking I have just looking on my phone before we had this conversation. I have pictures from the 20th last year. So uh, one day less than a year ago in Sumas of those twisted railroad tracks. Um, you could see daylight underneath the railroad tracks where it was washed out underneath. You know, there was all the marks and scars from all the water that had been through the EPL feed plant there. It was a disaster zone. And I remember going through there. Um, I had somebody, I was going to stay away, but there, there was a friend who I needed to help. Uh, I can't remember a ride or pull their car out or something. So I went in just for that. But I, that's what I, I said to people. You know, I texted when I was there. I said, this place looks like a war zone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and like the, when we were going and saving people, I mean, one guy. So he had lived. He had moved into his house in August and he this was his first flood. And he had tried to swim out. But the amount of current was so strong, it actually pushed him like towards uh from Main Street all the way to uh, Christian Reformed Church on, what is that, Sumas Avenue or whatever it is. So it's two, wow. two blocks in. And we took him back to get his dogs. And the water was so high on the tractor. We were in a 3155. Mm-hmm. And it was probably, you know, like nicking the bottom of the fan. And we went on one of the roads and we actually started taking in water. So we actually were like, we got to get out of here. So we mm-hmm. backed up. But I mean... That guy's lucky. That guy's lucky. He didn't die too. You're right. You're right. And you know, and with these, we were very grateful that we live in this community. I mean, all the boats, all the tractors, if we wouldn't have had those people to help, we would have had more deaths. We would have had the the numbers would have been so amazing. I mean, that, that man shouldn't have lost his life. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it was a tragedy and it shouldn't have happened, but we would have had a heck of a lot more. Mm. I mean, we didn't have any help, you know, like, but thankfully we have a farming community and people who have boats that were willing to come and help because. Yeah, I I remember looking at some of the video that Mikey Skolton took from his uh, JCB fast track that he drove in from town at the at at the dealership. Skolton's there and then he was rescuing people, too. 
But even just for him getting into Sumas to where he could start helping people was dicey. I, uh, the video oh, yeah. just almost makes your heart stop watching what he was driving through. It's crazy. Oh. And here we are. And again, by the way, this is QGMI News Talk 790. I'm Dylan Honkoop, uh, along with uh, our guest right now, Leah Rainey Herringa. Uh, you grew up with this kind of flooding. Leah, and by, by the way, for people who don't know, and I think we've had you on the show one other time, Leah, but Leah is the sister of my uh, former KGMI colleague, Lynn Rainey. If people remember that back in the day, me and Lynn yeah. used to do talk shows and news and whatnot, and she'd talk a, a lot back then about you guys growing up in the Acme Valley there, your, your family still farms out there. You guys would flood all the time up there, so you had seen... That you'd seen flooding, you knew what the game was, but you're saying you hadn't seen anything like this. No, well, and you're right. I mean, it floods. It floods quite regularly up there, and you kind of got used to it. I knew how to drive in it. I knew how to, okay, what we needed to do. But it's different up there. You know, in the valley, it comes up and it goes down, and out here, it just keeps coming, and you don't actually know how much is coming. You know, you keep hearing people are kind of starting to panic and you're hearing this, oh, the levee broke in Everson. And you're like, what, what, you know, and like all it's just this. I don't know. I had some serious panic attacks and my husband's like, honey, you have got to calm down. And I'm like, I can't like, I don't know how deep this is going to get. What am I going to do with my animals? Is my house going to be completely ruined? My house is 113 years old and it has never had water in it. And when we ripped the walls open, and that was really sad, too. I mean, we had to rip up the floors, rip up the walls, and we found a ton of dry rot. And mm. because our house is so old, one side has a foundation and the other has a log and block, there's no way to pick it up or it's going to fall apart. So our idea, our new idea is we're going to have to bring in grade and probably build up higher. But right now, like, because we're just kind of getting by, my kitchen is tongue and groove plywood, right? Mm -hmm. I threw down carpet to to sustain us. Like, it's sad, you know, and like, I don't know. It, it was a really, really devastating time. And then when you see, you know, like, I'm grateful I didn't lose everything. I have a two-story mm -hmm. home. But when you go into Sumas, and like, I have friends who are, they just got into their houses last month. Like, last month, almost a last year month. later. Yeah, almost a year later, and this looming fear that this could happen again. And if you, t I mean, and I, I went and I did some talking in in the downtown area, and and to hear these people's stories, and like, there's a building. It's kind of close to El Nepal, and it's kind of close to the post office, but it's a blue building, and there's still a water line on the windows, and it mm. is up to my nose. I'm five five. So well over four feet off the ground. Yeah. Close to five feet off the ground. What What are you supposed to do with that? Yeah. How are you supposed to, you well, know, and I, it, it was hurtful because yeah. there was a comment afterwards. Well, why didn't you just pick up your stuff? Dude, <sighs> people did pick up their stuff. I, I We spent the whole eight hours Sunday trying to protect our home from this. There was nothing we could have done. Yeah. It wouldn't have mattered how high we stacked those sandbags. It was coming in. Exactly. Like, exactly. Well, I... The thing that's frustrating to me now is here we are a year later, and what kind of reassurance do you and the thousands of other people who this is still a raw issue for, those memories still hurt, 
What reassurance are, do, does anyone have that this isn't going to happen again? What has been done to deal with, and you know, we've talked about this so much here on the program. We're going to continue to talk about it. Uh, we, we ain't going to let it go. We have a water management crisis here. And if that flood wasn't a crisis, I don't know what is. And as we've talked about here on the show, that's only part of it, the flooding and then the flip side, not enough water. And we aren't managing it right, and things need to be done. But what progress has been made? Here we've had a whole year. What progress has been made? Not a lot. Not a lot. And there isn't a reassurance that isn't going to happen again. I keep hearing, oh, this was a 150-year flood. The odds of it happening again are slim. Really? Because how much gravel came down with this one? And we've never had nine inches of rain at one time, but who's to say we get two inches now and it seems like that river's bank to bank. Yeah. And you're so, you know, in all these waterways, I keep driving around, all the ditches are plugged with grass. There's nowhere for this water to go. We're not managing the creeks or the rivers or the the streams. We have to be able to manage it because if it can't get through, then it's going to stop and it's going to spread out just like it always does. And we we have to do something like, I don't know, this was probably one of the most traumatic things I've probably ever been through. And I'm hoping I never have to do it again because I don't think I could handle it. Yeah, you, we were talking, what was it, a week or two ago, a couple of weeks ago when it was raining so much. I think it was, yeah, right at the end of October when we basically got caught up on rain for the entire month after three dry weeks. And you were saying even that was just putting you right to the edge of being nervous. I mean, oh, even yeah. though you you probably knew cerebrally that it probably wasn't going to happen. It's, it's a whole lot deeper than that. It's, it's PTSD really. Oh, big time. Is what it is. Yeah. I was driving out here and it was starting to rain. I'm like, this could all be underwater in like two weeks. And it's like, it's growing in your belly and you're like, what do you do? You know, I got three kids, I got animals, you know, like I got all, all our stuff is in our house, you know, like our shop was under three feet, you know, it's like, yeah. Well, we're about out of time and we don't have time to get into, you know, specifics about what what kind of solutions need to be done. But I think the upshot here is we cannot forget about this. And we there's got to be a fire lit under some folks to get some things done. I don't care what it is. I mean, that's something I've been advocating for in the months since this flood now a year ago that. We need to be considering and pursuing any and all options to protect people, first and foremost, in our community, as well as farming, and as well as fish, because this was a disaster for all of that as well. Yeah. But again, I, I thank you, Leah Rainey Herring, with us here on the program. I, I thank you for being willing to talk about it, because I know it's, it's painful for you, um, but I appreciate you being with us here on the program this morning. Thanks, Dylan. Yeah, I, I appreciate being there, too. I feel like it's um, I need to be a voice for us. Well, sadly, a year later, after this disaster, the state is still on its wrong-headed path of, hey, let's go to court over water rights, which is going to make it even harder darn near impossible to achieve the solutions that we need to make sure a disaster like this never happens again. But they've kind of been exposed and they have a little bit of egg on their face. But why they are making moves against 
the direction we need to be going to actually solve it, to work together as a community. That's what we need to do. And yet, a recent forum exposes their out-of-touchness. Can that be a word? The State Department of Ecology on that. We continue straight ahead with Marty Mayberry, local berry grower, sharing more about this straight ahead here on The Farming Show. Stay with us on KGMI. Now you can mow, dig, grade, haul, and more with the perfect solution for your property, a Branson tractor. Save your back and your wallet with one of our compact but powerful tractors here at Farmers Equipment Company. Stop by and choose from our full line of Bransons to take on your toughest tasks. With tractors from 19 to 55 horsepower, we have a Branson compact or utility tractor that is perfect for you. Want to use a rotary cutter to tame that tall brush on your property? You can do that. What about snagging a scoop from that pile of gravel to maintain your driveway free of potholes? You can do that too. Branson's six-year warranty along with our factory-trained technicians will make sure your new tractor is always running great. Get the tractor you want and the peace of mind you need at Farmers Equipment Company. To learn more, visit us online at FarmersEquip.com or stop by our locations in Linden, Burlington today. Farmers Equipment Company, serving the Pacific Northwest for over 86 years. COVID-19 has tested our communities in unthinkable ways. In the face of crisis, Puget Sound Energy has given over 18 million in bill assistance to customers impacted by the pandemic, and together with PSE Foundation, gave 4 million in community grants for COVID relief. All the while, PSE continues to lead on clean energy, with a goal to reach beyond net zero carbon emissions by 2045. It's part of our commitment to doing what's right for customers and communities. Together, we're creating a clean energy future for all. Learn more at PSC.com slash together. I recently brought in my car for some long overdue repairs, something we can all probably relate too well with over this past year and a half. I was terrified about cost, but luckily the guys at Bellingham and Burlington Automotive prioritized repairs that couldn't wait and helped me decide what could. What a relief. Bellingham and Burlington Automotive, professional ASE certified techs and expertise in foreign and domestic vehicles. Learn more at BellinghamAutomotive.com or BurlingtonAutomotive.com. With love I will build a wonderful thing that makes this life better for you and for me. Shriners Hospitals for Children has been creating wonderful opportunities for children in need. This life-changing medical care helps them do the things they've always dreamed of. To find out more, go to loveshriners.org. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Tired of inefficient heating, poor indoor air quality, and rising energy bills? Contact West Mechanical today at westmechanical.net to explore going ductless with a system from Mitsubishi Electric Cooling and Heating. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. Well, well, well. Hmm. Seems like something didn't quite turn out the way that maybe the the bureaucrats with, I don't know, pretty anti-farm agenda in the past. 
didn't really turn out the way I think that they were planning. <laughs> and there may be some, some egg on some people's faces with, with something that happened recently. Um, it's incredible when you have bureaucrats who try to make a point and they get what they think are, are people who are going to support what they have to say together and all the people that they have speak out on a specific issue, say something basically diametrically opposed to the point that they're trying to make. And yet at the end, they wrap up by saying, and yeah, so uh, yeah, we're still continuing on this ridiculous path that everyone said is a terrible idea. Is this how our government works? Is there any ability to turn the ship and say, whoa, now? Well, certainly when your motives are political and not actually about doing the right thing, I think that's what happens. Welcome back to The Farming Show. Dylan Honkoop here on KGMI this morning. And what I'm talking about is this water issue. And, and we've talked so much about uh, a water rights lawsuit, an adjudication that the state wants to do here on this show. So that's the backdrop here. And initially, you know, all along, the farming community here, we've been saying the only way we're ever going to solve this whole thing with water rights and water management in the Nooksack Basin is if we all work together. And in a vacuum, who disagrees with that? I mean, that makes sense, right? We have some very heady issues to work on here. We need to work together in a collaborative way. We can't all be fighting with lawyers in a courtroom and expect to get anywhere on these sensitive issues for local culture and food and indigenous peoples and salmon and local food production. The list goes on. We've got to be working together. It's got to be collaborative from the get-go, though. Ecology, State Department of Ecology, and as we've highlighted this, in so many different ways here on the show, they had it in their head that they have to go after this legal route that's acrimonious, it's about fighting, it's adversarial. And initially, they even lobbied against, it was reverse lobbying, they're trying to get their connections to write letters against doing anything to fund what the farming community was calling for was to bring people together. Let's let's have, you know, if, if the state wants to go down this route, let's also fund bringing people together into a collaborative process, a solutions table. The state initially was opposed to that and lobbied against it. Now they're saying they're about solutions. They, they, they think that this whole lawsuit and working together can happen at the same time. And they recently had what they call a solutions showcase to talk about... And I guess this shows the pressure that we've been putting on this has worked. They need to be talking about this idea of working together on collaborative solutions. Joining me right now is somebody who has been following these water rights and water management issues here in the Nooksack Basin for decades. Uh, a berry farmer, Marty Mayberry, is on the phone with us. Marty, you know, there's so much that could be said, but but just to step into the present here, here we are a couple, what, a couple weeks after this solution showcase happened. We have video of the whole thing. Um, we have the state saying their process is going to go a certain way and we're going to have a court case and we're all going to somehow work together collaboratively at the same time. Everyone knows that's just false on its face. But somehow, did they think that they were going to get people to support that in this conversation? Instead, they, they had a bunch of experts from the most recent place where they created a legal fiasco in Yakima. Explain what happened in this, this solution showcase. Well, Ecology brought uh, together a, a, a number of people from the Yakima Basin. And um, 
you know, 40, 50 years ago, they started an adjudication in the Yakima. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, they kept suing each other for for 45 years or so. And, and finally, a couple people, one, one person from the tribes and another one from the irrigation district got together in a parking lot and started a conversation about what we could do if, if we just put down the guns. And um, they started the, uh, I think it's the Yakima Integrated Plan. Yep. And out of that process, that collaborative process, they've been able to accomplish a lot of things, a lot of things for salmon habitat and a lot of things for increased uh, uh, water storage. And so uh, Ecology brought a number of people from uh, together uh, on a Zoom meeting that we were able to listen in on. And um, the discussion was basically, you know, what happened? How did it happen? And they brought together uh, somebody from the tribe, somebody from the irrigation district, somebody, you know, from the environmental uh, community, um, people that worked for the tribes. And the message was astoundingly clear that adjudication is, is, is almost worthless in trying to move forward on doing things to help the fishery, to help habitats. And it was, it was so clear that, you know, we, we didn't have to say anything because basically what they were saying was the stuff that we've been saying is that if you really and truly are concerned about salmon habitat mm-hmm. and flows and environmental things, the, the way to do it is is collaboratively working together mm-hmm. and that by working together and they could go to the federal government and back to Washington, D.C., and they could get major projects funded that had had major impacts. And without that collaborative uh, approach, uh, the government's not going to give you any money to do anything because you're fighting. Right. And uh, there was questions about groundwater adjudication it was almost like what are you crazy you want to adjudicate groundwater uh, and and uh, they didn't even do that in yakima and it was still a 42 no. year fiasco no there's never been a basin wide from my knowledge there's never been a basin wide adjudication that included groundwater unprecedented it's never been done before yet they say they believe this is the the answer uh this is the farming show by the way dylan honkoop here talking with marty mayberry uh, uh, Whatcom County, um, berry grower, red raspberries, blueberries. I think you guys still have a few strawberries and, and whatnot mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody who has been engaged in water issues probably since before I was born um, and, and knows this stuff like the back of his hand. Just before we came on the air here, he was telling me he just can't get it out of his brain anymore. It's, it's, it's hard for him not to think about this because this issue is so huge, so complex, and so important to him and this community. You know, it's interesting that we're talking about this now, Marty, because I, I believe it was back when the, the state first said, well, okay, we're going to do this whole lawsuit thing, that you and I had a conversation here on this program about how it really did go down in Yakima and how much of a problem that was. We were saying that back then, and it was highlighted again so clearly. It it boggles my mind. Like, What was ecology thinking when they were going to bring these people in to speak uh, uh, ostensibly to support their position um, and at the end of the day, absolutely destroyed any argument that that ecology has for their wrongheaded position. Uh, it, it, 
It's unbelievable. And and are these people really that tone deaf? Did they really? I mean, they wrap up the meeting with saying, well, yep. So look, yeah, our plan is the right way to go. Even though everybody in the session they put together said their plan was the, <laughs> the worst possible way to go. Like, is this gaslighting? Is this, I don't know. There's got to be some word for it where you hear all evidence to the contrary. And then you look the camera straight in the eye and say, yep, yep. So we're going to continue on with uh the same thing that everybody said was terrible. I, what do you say to people who do that? We said quite a bit to them. Um, <laughs> you know, I have my personal feelings. I, things changed quite a bit in about two to three years ago mm. where we had a good working relationship with ecology. They sat in all of our meetings and um, worked on projects together. And all of a sudden, uh, as a 180, it, it appears that the edict has come down that they're they picked winners and losers mm. in this in this whole deal and um that's just you know that's what it appears and and the yakima adjudication was difficult enough but whatcom county is so much more complicated the yakima has you know a number of big irrigation districts that that uh, supply water to literally hundreds of thousands of acres. And we have all individual uh, holes in the ground, hundreds of thousands. And, you know, just pleading with ecology, what are you doing? So the Yakima has multiple uh, reservoirs. They can control flow uh, from those reservoirs. We have no reservoirs. Yeah, their fight was just over who got what. We don't even have the ability to control who gets what. No. No. And um, so it's, you know, it's been a tumultuous couple of years. I firmly believe that ecology is undersold in a big way. The uh, negative consequences of adjudication, not only just to agriculture, but to everyone. Uh, just lately, uh, they came out with a position on exempt wells. And uh, I couldn't believe <laughs> their position that, you know, in most exempt wells, you get 5,000 gallons a day. Uh, this is hearkening, hearkening back to the old Hearst case that everyone yeah. was in such a kerfuffle over. Yeah. The new ones, you know, are down to 500 gallons. Now, anybody listening to this needs to pay attention to this because ecology basically said that in the adjudication process, if you have 5,000 gallons, if you're still under the old exemption and you have 5,000 gallons that you can use on internal and external uses to irrigate your lawn and your garden, if you agree to go down to that 500 gallon a day, then you won't have to go through the adjudication process. They'll have some expedited situation. If you don't, you'll have to go through the adjudication process, just like all of us poor farmers have to do. So they're they're trying to pull, get people right over a barrel. So they have no choice, but to agree to what they want. It's extortion. Mm. And whether that will hold up, you know, they act like they can make up the rules as they go. Um, That's not true. This will be, these things will be decided by a judge. So what happens with that? I don't know, but just the very idea that, you know, all the people that have the exempt well and have 5,000 gallons a day, that if, if you choose you don't want to go through adjudication, which is it's a legal process. It's going to cost money. It's going to cost time. 
that you agree to go down to 500 gallons a day from 5,000, then you won't have to go through the adjudication process. I was absolutely flabbergasted by the brazenness of our bureaucrats. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I, I wonder how many people with exempt wells, with Hearst wells, whatever you want to call them now, are even aware that they're facing. I mean, people are going to be sued, right? They are going to be served papers, likely. And is anybody ready for that? Are, are the people, people who, that are listening to your radio show know that now, but that's about it. And um, unreal. You know, these, unreal. These are things that are going on that, unless you're keyed in on the whole process, um, nobody knows what's going on. Sounds to me like you know, everybody remembers Hearst, and wow, wasn't that such a terrible situation? This sounds mm-hmm. like it could be a whole lot worse than that. It will be a lot worse than that. It's not that it can be. It will be. And what will happen is the tribes will more than likely be given uh, a minimum flow. Will be A minimum flow right would be their treaty right. Right. Everybody else will be junior to that. And we cannot control that flow. Being junior means you can be shut off if you are impairing that right. Now, what the tribes would do in that situation, you know, I can't tell you. Yeah. But um, I can tell you, in, in my experience, I don't believe this is about fish. Well, what, what you're explaining, you know, you could shut everybody off and you aren't saving fish. It's really not going to change the situation in the river a whole heck of a lot at all. I mean, we're talking about, you know, looking at numbers as we've had. We talked about this here on this program. You shut off all of agricultural use. And mm-hmm. in Whatcom County, you're going to see something on an average of a, an increase in the gauge level at Ferndale in the Nooksack River of a quarter inch. Yeah, How many fish assuming. is that going to save? Yeah, that's assuming that, you know, roughly about 80% of ag water use is groundwater. And that's assuming that all of that water use is affecting the main stem of the Nooksack River, (laughs) which it's it's not a one-to-one situation. We can't deny that there's not hydraulic continuity. But we do deny that it's a one-to-one scenario in that it, it takes a long time to move through the soil. Some of it never affects the stream until you got high water and, and the aquifer is totally recharged. And, and so we're assuming the worst case scenario. And the prime habitat is the three forks. The prime habitat is not the main stem of the Nooksack River. Mm-hmm. That's a transitory network for the salmon. And they'll just jet right on up uh, to the three forks where their spawning habitat is. And and, um, well, and if, honestly, if people are worried about doing the habitat work and the other restoration work that it takes to protect and enhance those salmon runs, mm-hmm. those are the exact things that this potential legal case that they're planning on filing in June of 2023, that's the exact thing that whole thing will stop. It will choke out the ability for people to, to do that kind of work. So how well, is that supposed you- to be a good thing? Generally, when you're in a litigatory environment, um, the collaborative work amongst parties that are in a contentious environment completely stops. And that's that's been our point, that litigation, if and truly, if this is about salmon, salmon habitat, we were told under no uncertain circumstances by the, the group out of the Yakima 
that the collaborative approach is the approach to take to get things done that so many people say they want to get done. And there was a recognition on the parts of, of the Yakima tribe over there that agriculture is a very important part of our community and a part of our economy. And so, you know, they came together under, under some basic premises. They, they said, we don't agree on everything, yeah. but we do agree on a lot of things. And we can come together and and work on the things that we agree on. And that's all we're saying. And and we uh, we, we have tried for years and years to try and work this approach with all water users in our community. And and we were told under no certain circumstances, if you can, are concerned about habitat, the environment and the fishery, mm-hmm. that a collaborative approach is the only approach. And, and what do we do with that? And and we'll we will find out over the next few months whether the parties that say that they're concerned about the issues that we're concerned about are really concerned about what they say. They yeah. What what is this truly about? What are mm-hmm. the motives? Marty Mayberry, uh, Whatcom County berry grower and um, water. Law, water management, water rights, um, junkie, for lack of a better, not junkie, because it's not like you like it, but you're you're an expert in your own right, not only on the legal processes, but also the real world impact of those processes. And I think that's as important as anything. Um, thank you for, for weighing in here on the program. We have to run. I'm sure we'll have you back again soon because we're getting to the point where the rubber has to meet the road. Uh, people have to start getting honest. Do they actually care about what they say they care about? And if they do, how can they continue to support a process that is absolutely antithetical to that? So I appreciate your time. Uh, Marty, again, we're out of time. Um, I guess best of luck to you and, and stay in touch with us. We'll keep working, Dylan. Private well owners, exempt well owners here in Whatcom County. Were you paying attention to that? What Marty said there? We, we've got, we, we need to be talking about this more. We'll have more on this coming up. If you missed what Marty just said, you need to be paying attention. You can check out this interview. We'll post it at soundcloud.com slash save family farming. Also, we will be sharing pieces of video from this quote unquote solution showcase that backfired so badly on the Washington State Department of Ecology. The truth came out despite despite their best efforts. You'll be hearing a lot more about this in the days to come as we share video from that and more background information. Follow Save Family Farming, also Whatcom Family Farmers on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you name it. We'll hook you up with the actual video and some good information. Thanks for being with us here on your Saturday morning. Of course, Saturday morning live is next here on KGMI.